1: Friday edition of the Danny Mac Show. Happy Friday. Let's have a great weekend. I'm Dan McLaughlin. That is Brandon Kiley. And Manning, our show, as always, does a great job. Tanner Hendrickson. And welcome into the program. We'll visit with Major League Baseball Hall of Famer Lee Smith, who's on the ballot for the Cardinals Hall of Fame. We hope to catch up with him in about 15 minutes or so. And for those that are curious, there is baseball on your television tonight at 5 o'clock. Oh, Yeah. You know who my partner is today. He's deep into uh, the studying right now. Oh, uh, that's got to be Jim Edmonds. No, no. Keep Ricky going. Ricky
0: Horton. No. Ricky Horton's no. going to be on with you guys tonight. No, that could I be. I expect some uh, Fred Bird laughs with him.
1: Nope. But you're, you're you're getting hot when you think of Fred Bird. Rick Ankiel. No. Oh. No, 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 no. Tim no. Carver's coming no. back? No, 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 no. It's a guy that we love, and we know him really well. You're doing a game with Mike Shannon? He's on the radio. <laughs> he's on the radio side. Keep going. Klaibs. It's got to be Klaibs. He's tonight. on the radio side.
0: Oh, Brad Thompson. Brad Thompson. Brad Thompson. Of course, Brad Thompson. it slipped to my
1: mind. Yeah, I, I get it. I mean, he's an afterthought sometimes. That's right. You know, he's just, he's quiet. Doesn't have an opinion. Doesn't do his homework, but you know we let him in the studio every once. Well, while. it's really
0: nice of you guys to uh <laughs> to, to do that for a guy so down on his luck recently.
1: Yeah, yeah, down on his luck. He does such a good job. So we'll we'll be with Brad and the game. By the way, the start time is at five. We'll be on the alternate channel of Fox Sports Midwest because uh, Blues hockey tonight, and we've got Blues hockey uh, coming up on one hundred and one ESPN tonight. Looking forward to this. The Blues and the Golden Knights. The pregame at six. I had this game. By by the way, circled on my calendar because I thought, oh, man, it's the return of the captain. First time he's back into St. Louis. This is going to be great. Now I got it circled on my calendar for a different reason. Yeah they lock up a franchise goaltender I was hoping they'd get this done before the season would be through and BK I know we're going to get into a lot of baseball but they have locked up Jordan Bennington which is great news
0: it's great news six by six so 36 million dollars in total over a six year deal it's basically the Corey Crawford deal that he signed whenever he was the goalie for the, uh, the Blackhawks it's the exact same years and money as Corey Crawford signed back in 2013 now obviously money has gone up in hockey since then so it's Proportionally to the salary cap, a little bit less. Dan, I don't know how anybody can look at this and be like, ah, you know, I'm not sure about that deal. It's a great deal for the Blues. Yep. It's a team friendly deal. They got it done early. It guarantees Jordan Bennington is money. So I understand why he would sign it. But if he waited, if he wanted to get the most money possible, and if the Blues went on a little bit of a run here, he probably, if he hit the open market... Oh, he's going to make more. He could have got $7 million per year, I bet you, on the open market.
1: Yeah, imagine if the Blues, just for argument's sake, let's just say they go on a great run, and let's just say it's the ultimate run, and you win another cup, and he's the guy between the pipes, and he does what he did a couple of years ago. He hits the open market, might be the top free agent out there. You don't know, and especially the top free agent if you need a goaltender. So, yeah, he may have left some money on the table, but as he's done, he is bet on himself. Bet on himself when he was making $650,000, and now here we are two and a half, three years later, and he's going to walk away close to $50 million richer. So it's a good deal, not only for the player, but for the team, and it gives them flexibility. That's what I like, too. It allows you to have flexibility going forward, so you start thinking about, and I mentioned this on the morning show, Robert Thomas others you're going to lose some guys now in the expansion draft i understand that and you could get creative with that depending on what you want to do with your money but what about a matthew kachuk down the line you know guys like that if you want to get creative you can and the other thing i love about this too in doing some of the numbers uh, bk last night give stillman and the ownership group a lot of credit absolutely because this is showing you they're spending to the cap if you start adding this into their roster look at where the numbers are they're spending to the cap and now you're above the cap and he's and by the way he's only 27 we forget that jordan bennington has a chance to get better and better he's moving into the prime of his career he's only 27 years old it's a great move there is literally nothing that i can think of where
0: i'd be like yeah that's the thing where i disagree with this move now Injuries could happen. There's ways that this doesn't work out for the Blues, but that's the case with quite literally any contracts that you give out that is six years in length. That can always happen. But the downside on this deal is basically Jordan Bennington's the same player that he was last year. And even if he's that guy at $6 million, that's not killing you. It reminds me, I heard Doug Armstrong speaking last night on the press conference, and he was talking about the importance of having a goalie. And if you don't have one, Everything in your organization is geared toward how do we find one? It's kind of like having a quarterback or not having one in the NFL. If you don't have that guy, every person in your organization is on the hot seat at all times. They have one right now, they have a franchise goalie for the first time 20 years or so. Yeah, a guy that is in his prime, young, and you know you're building around him as a pillar of the franchise. You keep that guy each and every time, and so it's a really smart move by the Blues. Full credit, like you said, to Tom Stillman for having that willingness to spin to the cap, ability to do so, and now he's he's shown once again his dedication to winning here in St. Louis. Are
1: you ready for a reality check? Are you ready for this? Yes. I'm assuming you are. Yeah. Okay. You gotta you gotta say yes. Say yes. Waiting for it. Okay, yeah. okay. You give me a head nod or not, I wouldn't sure. Okay. Um, so from the 314, this just kind of came to me right here. Guys, Cardinals at five, Missouri at six, uh, six Blues at seven. That's all right. You don't have to watch the Mizzou game. I can tell you how this is well, going to go. No, no, no. BK, let's, let's hold on. Let me give you a little reality check. Okay. I don't know what you were doing on March 12th a year ago. I know what I was doing. I was watching the final game that was being played in North American sports, and then we had a shutdown. So the reality check is for me, and I know the texture is just, hey, this is a great problem to have. I got three sports I want to watch. So I'm, I'm just giving you a little trouble here. This is a great problem to have. We got sports back. But this is the reality check that we're in, <laughs> is that this time last year, I was arriving at the ballpark. It was 11-10 uh, Eastern time and looking out over the field and wondering where the players are as the – the stands are filling up, and the night before, Rudy Gobert tested positive. So here we are now, a year later, and yeah, I'm looking forward to Cardinals at 5, Mizzou at 6, Blues at 7. Sounds like a great problem to have for me.
0: Yeah, and again, I'll get back to my uh, the point I was about to make. Uh, Mizzou, you don't have to watch the game. I can tell you how this one's going to really? go. Really? How's yeah. it going to end? So, uh, Mizzou's going to get up at some point by about 10 points. And who are they playing? They're playing Arkansas tonight. Okay,
1: who's the number two seed. Yeah, and they're
0: a very good team, top 10 very team in the good. country. Um, Mizzou's going to get up by about 10 points at some point. It's going to be about midway through the second half. I was just going to say, the 10-minute mark, second yeah. half. Yeah, they're going to start going cold from the field. They're going to go like, oh, for their next eight from the field. I was
1: going to say six-minute
0: drought. Yep, yep. And you're going to get to about four minutes remaining. They're going to suddenly be down by three, and you're not going to know how it happened. It's going to be totally baffling. It's going to be like, wait, they were playing so great. Tillman has 24. (laughs) Mark Smith has 15. He's four for five from beyond the arc. Tillman was dominating. (laughs) And you're going to get to about 30 seconds left. Mizzou is going to be up or down three. They're miraculously going to find a way to lose this one, and it's going to come right down to the wire. Somebody's going to foul out at the very end. That's going to be how this game ends, because, Dan, I've been watching the same damn Mizzou game for a month now, (laughs) and it's ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) happened again last night. Georgia, a team that had no business being in that game, somehow had a shot at the very end of the game to tie the game and go into overtime. Sorry, I'm a... uh, I'm a lifelong Mizzou fan that is finding my way through this season. It was one month ago today that Mizzou was a one seed in the tournament. Now they are hanging by a thread as an eight seed, probably as in this tournament.
1: Illinois, uh, Illinois plays tonight too. They're at either five or five thirty. You would probably know that, Tanner. You're a big Illinois guy. I think
0: they're six, if I'm not
1: mistaken. Okay, but they're going tonight too. So you got Missouri, Illinois, you got the Blues, and you got the Cardinals. I'm not going
0: to be negative, like negative Nancy over there. He's playing Rutgers. (laughs) So (laughs) have a positive attitude. You can have a positive (laughs) attitude. (laughs) Man, Mizzou is beating this out They're going to get blown out
1: tonight because of his attitude right there. Well, I got to be honest here. I don't always agree with BK. He's 100% right. (laughs) I
0: mean, I don't know a whole lot. I know my Missouri Tigers, and I know how this game's going to go.
1: He's 100% right. That is exactly how this game. Matter of fact, it might even be double-digit lead at some point.
0: (laughs) It happened last night.
1: (laughs) And then the 10-minute mark hits, and then you look up and you go, uh uh-oh. And then you're at the five-minute mark, and then every possession is crucial, and then somebody's going to miss the front end of a one-and-one, and and you're like, oh, okay, now it's every uh, possession is critical in the final five minutes, and Tillman can't hit a free throw and they can't get the ball inside and they're taking bad threes and guys go cold and then they'll win in the last second shot or OT. That's how Missouri it works.
0: plays games in 10 minute segments, Tanner. That's how this works. So there's going to be one 10 minute segment where they look like one of the five worst teams in the country. That's going to happen. There's going to be a 10 minute segment where they look completely unbeatable as if they could beat anybody that is in the tournament. And then there's going to be about a 20 minute portion somewhere throughout it's kind of in the middle. You've got some moments of glory, some moments where it goes either way. That's just who Missouri is this year. I don't understand it. They at one point were a top 10 team in the country. Now they any given moment I could go either way on them. I I'm at a
1: loss, but to their credit, they've won a lot of these close games. Yeah. So, I give them credit for that, but just buckle up. It'll probably be a tight game. Later in the show, we're going to talk about some of the rule uh, changes in baseball being presented in the minor leagues. I like some of these ideas. It's fascinating and how they could be implemented at the Major League level, so we'll get into that. And uh, we're going to visit with the Major League Baseball Hall of Famer, and that's Lee Smith, and that's coming up next on 101 ESPN. This is the Danny Mac Show with DK, the podcast powered by I promise. He is one of the great pitchers ever, and he finally got his due as he went into Major League Baseball's Hall of Fame. Lee Smith is our guest, and Lee, it's Dan McLaughlin here with Brandon Kiley. It's great to hear your voice. How are things going?
2: Oh man, I'm bored, dude. You can believe that, man. But everything is doing fine, man. Uh, uh my family and everybody's doing well. You know, we got through this last year, which everybody's been so, so concerned. I'm glad to see things are getting a little better. Just hope we don't get too far ahead of ourselves.
1: Absolutely. Uh last time I saw you was down in fantasy camp. So tell our listeners here in Saint Louis uh where you're at and what you've been up to.
2: Well, man, I'm in uh the big city of Castle, Louisiana. I don't <laughs> think any I don't think we've gotten over 2,000. Uh, we still haven't got a red light yet, but um, I'm just relaxing right now, hoping to see some baseball. Lee, I
0: wanted to ask you, so I was reading a little bit about you last night, and I saw you were scouted by the late, great Buck O'Neill. And I'm from <coughs> Kansas City, so I've heard so many stories about Buck. I'm curious, do you have any stories about Buck O'Neill or any experiences with him that you can share with some of our listeners?
2: Man, probably nothing that anyone have always heard and, and uh noticed that they ever met the man. He's he's just something about him was unbelievable, man. But with me when, and I've known i do know, I know Buck all of my life and, and you know just to see, you know, him get that uh due finally. When you think In about Kansas it, City, you know, with the bridge and everything like that. What what was it? <laughs> What was it about Buck that,
1: that – well, go ahead, Lee. What what was it about Buck that stuck, stood out for you and your relationship with Buck?
2: Well, it was just a person. It wasn't really baseball, you know. It's just the person that he was and what he stood for, you know. And things that I, I learned from Buck, you know, was it started through baseball, but life in general, how you treat people, you know, and, and the way he did things. And, man, it was just unbelievable. Everywhere you ever gone to think Buck or Hill have been there.
0: We're talking to Lee Smith, one of the greatest relievers in the history of baseball. Lee, I, I wanted to ask you, you know, when, when you look back on your career, your Hall of Fame career now, and I'm so happy that you were able to get what, what, what you deserve by getting into the Hall. Uh, what, what are some of your lasting memories? What are the things that immediately flash into mind as you look back on one of the more successful relieving careers that we've ever seen?
2: Uh, I tell you what, it, it was—it was really for me. It was tough because I really baseball was somewhat my my second choice. I thought I was a better basketball player, but I found out I had a better fastball than a jump shot. Thank God, Buck and some more guys in my life uh, um, helped me to figure those things out. But when you when you get to probably double AA, A, triple A, and you see the talent, because you come out of high school, which I did, you think. You're the best thing since sliced bread. And you got so many guys, that's so much better. And the things you have to learn. And as you well know, when you, you start in any sport, in any level, you have to start over. And to get to the big leagues, and I'm like, like I said, I was the best thing to come through this area. And I get to the big leagues, I got to start at the bottom. And to work my way up, and it probably was about five or six years in the big leagues before I got to where I understood the game and, and understood the, the the technology of knowing who to pitch to, who not to pitch to, things of that nature. But I think it's that personality of uh, I was sort of laid back, and that helped me out a lot. But home life, things like that, you know, all that that goes into, into effect. And the good Lord upstairs, keep now and on you, healthy.
1: What was your time like in St. Louis? You played on various teams. You're now up for the Cardinals Hall of Fame, and you should be in the Cardinals Hall of Fame, whether it's this year or down the road. But your time in St. Louis, what comes to mind for Lee Smith?
2: Hey, man, St. Louis was, not just because I'm talking to you guys, I always have said was one of my favorite places to play. Because, you know, you think of St. Louis was sort of like me, my personality, you know, sort of a small town, sort of laid back, you know, but you can get everything in the city. The knowledge of the fans really surprised me, you know, because you you would think about, okay, not knocking women or whatever, but they knew stats and they knew the game. And and most of people like, okay, the husband takes the wife, you know, to the game. But St. Louis – I think the wife was dragging them in there, man. But it was, so, it was so much of the sports and the fan how you could sit in that bullpen and start talking to people and relationships that I have. And I still, I still have a relationship with a lot of people. Matter of fact, from back to the bat boy that was there in St. Louis, I still keep in contact with him when I play there. So that was a family thing, I think, around that area. But the love of the fans, the Cardinals, I think they got a little spoiled with winning. You know, and rightfully so, because the guy has some really good ball clubs. Now,
1: one of those bad boys is a good friend of mine, Lee. And he told me every once in a while, you know, the game would be going on and we'd have to go get Lee because he's laid, laid back. So, we, you know, he might be in the clubhouse taking a nap before he'd go get <laughs> that save. Are some of those stories true? No, it's not true. I was in
2: the ground-cruise <laughs> room asleep. <laughs> closest to the bullpen, man. You know, when you see me come out that door down in the bullpen, I was just leaving the uh, the ground-cruise room. Those were my running buddies, man. And uh, I have been known to take a shot, but, dude, that was nothing better than waking up with a three-run lead and got Ozzie Smith behind you catching everything and Willie McGee in the outfield catching everything. I felt comfortable because, you know, I came from – Chicago and Boston. And I think that green monster, I could touch it sometime out there on the mind, but St. Louis, you had a little room to work with. And like I said, anything hit on the ground where, you know, the Tommy heard and the Pendleton's and Ozzy they caught it and in the air. So I felt pretty comfortable out there and had some good ball clubs and good results there. I loved it. And can't, I definitely can't leave out my favorite manager of all time. Joe Torrey.
0: Lee, I'm curious, you know, we hear all of these great stories about ball players back in the past. I, what, was there a card game of choice for you when you were on the plane with all of the guys? What, what, what was Lee Smith doing as you were going on some of these road trips?
2: I ain't going to lie to you, man. I was asleep. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, man, I got in a couple of couple card games with Ozzie and Jose Okendo, and they clipped them for my meal money before we got to the next city, so I learned early get out of there, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> who was the shark on those playing rides? Who, who was the guy that, like, if he joined in on, on the card game, you knew you had to get out of there immediately?
2: I already named him Jose Okendo. I, I don't know. This guy, just something about it, man. And the weird thing is, this sucker, he only wanted to play right at the last hand as they was landing, and he would, like, go and just clean up, man. And I remember seeing, like, Bernard Gilkey looked like he was going to go out in tears because Jose Okendo would play like 10 minutes and win everybody's money. And it, it was unbelievable. They wouldn't they wouldn't let Pedro in there too much, uh, Guerrero. But Okendo was the one. He was definitely one for me.
1: I figured you were going to say Mike Shannon. <laughs> I figured
2: he would have been there, too. Oh, hey, man, Mike was always up in front hanging out. He would come down and talk to us every now and then. but. O'Kendo was back there, man. He must have been scouting the game before, they, before the end, man. But he was, he was one of them. He was slick, man. I got to give it to him. Hey, Lee, I,
1: I got to ask you, when you look at how the Closers' role has changed over the years, and you were kind of in the middle of when guys were going multi-innings, and then at times there would be the one-inning save. How, how do you think the role has, has really changed as, as you've watched this evolve in the game of baseball?
2: Well, I think the lefty-righty thing is sort of blown out of proportion with that, too, man. I, I think if you look back over my stats, I probably had better stats against left-handed hitters because I faced them more. You know, and I threw uh, a little bit of a cutter slider, so that helped me out a lot. But but I, I think that you learn how to pitch <laughs> by facing hitters. You know, you come in there and you, you throw like eight pitches in the game and, and it's over with. I, I really couldn't – get for, for a long time, it took me a while – to get that starter mentality out, because that's what I did during the minor leagues. And when I came up, I wanted to learn how to pitch. And back then we didn't, we didn't have 15 pitches on the staff. We had nine or 10 guys, man. So if, um, if the starter didn't go, you was out there quite a bit, you know? And so that was the one thing I think helped a lot of guys like myself and Suter was facing a lot of hitters. But now I, I see so many guys seem like they got that signal. They can't pitch the eighth inning. I'm like, The save might not be in the ninth inning. It might be in the seventh or the eighth inning, but, you know, it somehow you can look at the positive, it might be the guys a lot fresher. You know, if they get to the playoff, they, you know, don't have a hundred innings, you know, when the season is over as a closer, but I I just like to be in the game, man. And, be there when the manager and the team needed you.
1: You pitch for so many historical franchises and, and you mentioned those earlier and there's a bunch of others, but when you were in St. Louis and you would be in the clubhouse, whether it be in spring training or uh Bush stadium, and all of a sudden Stan rolls in or Lou Brock or Bob Gibson, what was that like for Lee Smith?
2: Man, I, I was always in awe because you know, where I live in Louisiana, the only games that we actually could get on the radio, you know, was the uh, uh, St. Louis Cardinals and my grandfather was definitely a Cardinal fan, uh, and he loved all those guys back in the day, you know, and, and he was talking about, the, the, he remembered the Ted Savages and guys like that. I'm like, who's Ted Savage? <laughs> you know, but you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think of those, those guys, and, and, and uh, my my grandfather really knows me a lot about players and things like that, but but like I said, it was the radio then. You That was a, the stations. They didn't get, you didn't have all the ESPNs and everything then, man. It was the radio where you got all these guys, and that's where the broadcasters, I think, helped so much letting you understand how good these players really were because you couldn't see them. But uh, I, I got to say, my, uh, uh, cr- growing up, I was definitely just pushed into that St. Louis the Los Angeles Dodger uh, uh, fan club as, as a kid.
0: We're talking to MLB Hall of Famer Lee Smith here on 101 ESPN. Lee, one thing that I did want to ask you about you were a guy that threw pretty darn hard back in the day. Can you believe how many guys now are throwing 100, 102
2: miles an hour coming out of these bullpens? You just said the word, though. Most of them are throwing, they're not pitching. You know, not knocking it. Some of the guys, you know, can hit the spots and things like that, but. I think even coming from the minor leagues, they, the guys are so worried about how hard they throw because they get to the big leagues when they throw those triple digits. You would think of having of those guys that, if they were looking at this velocity now, uh, having the guys that's in the Hall of Fame wouldn't be there. You would throw Greg Maddox and uh rest of those guys wouldn't they? <laughs> they wouldn't have made the ball club. They didn't throw hard enough. But I think those pitching, learning how to pitch and not being a thrower helps so much. But uh, I tell you what, man, it's hard now because, you know, you've got so many things going on with too much, so much information. I think sometimes they give the kids a little too much information other than going out there and learning how to pitch and learning how to read the bat and, and understanding the pitching, you know, the, the, the situation of the game and things like that. Not just wanting to blow guys away and take out the scoreboard, but the outcome is getting guys out.
1: Lee, there are certain guys in, in – I've been doing this uh, almost 25 years calling Cardinals baseball that when we talk about – guys that should get into the Hall of Fame, I, I would always bring up your name, and I would bring up the stats, and it would wow people. I mean, they're like, oh, I didn't realize he did this. And then you finally got in. You got your due, and you're uh, such a deserving Hall of Famer. So my question for you, um, has it finally sunk in, number one, and did you think it was? did you think it was a lost cause at any point, even though you had these great numbers that deserved to be in the Hall of Fame?
2: You know what? There was so many positives to negatives about playing for so many ball clubs. I didn't know stats from these ball club to the other. But I, I got to tell you, when they did the the, the American League, National League, they would did Trevor Hoffman, Mariano Rivera, and they were doing this award for them for closers, right? And the young lady called me from Major League Baseball, and she said to me, uh, "Mr. Smith, we want you to be on the board for voting for uh, um, this award." And I said, yeah, I said, but what happened to that uh, when I was all-time slave leader for 15 years? Exactly. He said, well, no biggie. You're already in the Hall of Fame. I'm like, uh, no, I'm not. You know? <laughs> right. So, <laughs> at that time. But it was just one of those things that you would look at. I heard so much, oh, you're the first guy to get over 50% of the votes. They're not in yet. And, and all these different things. And But you know what? There, uh, Goose Gossett, I think, said the best of me. He said, boy, the longer you wait, the sweeter it is. So I'm like, yeah, man, but I. I'll tell you what; it was a tough calls. A whole while. I actually thought uh, you heard so much about the first ballot. Then after the fifth year, then it depends on who's on the ballot with you and things like that. But to not not mocking the, the, the sports writers, but I really think it's a tough thing. It, it's tough to call, you know. And a lot, of, a lot of times when you see guys, no one went in. You would think, well, maybe who was there? Who wasn't good enough, or the guys didn't see you play and things of that nature. So that's that. But that all went into old to, to thoughts too, but. Finally, I made it, man, and it wasn't a better timing for me. I loved it. Lee,
0: last question that I've got for you. You're now up for the Cardinals Hall of Fame as well. What would it mean for you to be nominated into the Hall of Fame here in St. Louis?
2: Hey, I tell you what, man, that, that would be awesome. You know, I, I always looking at, you know, I, I got to see Bob and I got to see, uh, you know, uh, Lou and those guys like that, Shane Deans and all those guys before he passed, and just to see. Man, I came from a hometown. I said earlier, don't have a red light. To be actually to have my name mentioned in the same sentence as those guys in the city of St. Louis, And I, I tell you what, that would be unbelievable because I have a lot of ties still there, and I love it. I don't get a chance to get back to St. Louis not enough, but to see my favorite buddies up there, Ozzy and uh, Mr. Joe Torrey and all those guys, man, that would be a great honor. But I, I tell you what, just for the city itself to be still remembered from 1993, you know that's unbelievable, especially in baseball with all the guys moving all over the place so much now.
1: Well, you need to get back here more. It's that simple.
2: I would love it. I've been on Joe. I've been on Fife and all the boys about getting yeah. back into town, man. And my, my little lady wants to kill me because I'm like, I don't want to. I don't want to fly. I want to drive. So I'm stop off all the tractor and old truck places on the way in there. St. Louis is about an eight hour drive for me, but it takes me two <laughs> days because I'm stopping at every Walmart in town. <laughs> 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 She's like. Well, they fly, and you can drive, man. But I, I can't get back there enough, and I love it. I have a lot of buddies I would love to see. Hopefully, things are going to loosen up a little more, and, and uh, but for the country to be safe. Because I would love to get back to St. Louis. Lee,
0: well, you've mentioned a few times you're close with Ozzy. Do, do you have any good Ozzy stories for our listeners from your, your time playing with him here in St. Louis?
2: I used to give Ozzy such a hard time because you know we have a we have a little height differential between him and just a we little. We were at the All Star game in Toronto. And the young lady came up to me and she said, "Hey, Mister Smith, are you going to do your famous flip for us on the field?" I'm like, "Well, you got the wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you won't be seeing me doing the flips? If I do, it'll be the last one." I've mean, always been one of those guys, man. That that really he he was serious, you know, all the time on the field. But you would catch him at sometimes, man. He would be having fun, and it was it was a game that. Eric, I, had, I think I had the record for 19 saves in a row. And we come into in Cincinnati. And I got, I'm got out there 19 saves, 19 games in a row. And I'm pitching. And I threw a slider to Eric Davis that didn't slide. <laughs> and he hit it up off like the third deck. And Ozzy go out there. And he comes back to the mound. He has the ball with green paint on it. And he says to me, hey, Leroy, you know what, man? You was in the tree for a long time, but there wasn't no limbs on it when you was on the way down. <laughs> he fall left. <laughs> 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 he said, there was nothing for you to grab a hold to when you was going down. Well, I'm like, okay, I, said, I got to get the point, man. But he was, he was just one of those guys, man, that he was always, everybody always, brought him serious, but he was like, he was one of the funny guys to keep us loose and I love it. I miss him.
1: Well, Lee, we, we miss seeing you here in St. Louis. We want to see you get into that Cardinals Hall of Fame. It would mean a lot for our, a lot of fans here, too, as well for you. I know it's special for you, and we really, really appreciate you coming on and doing this. It's, a, it's an honor always oh. to visit with you.
2: Oh, thanks, man. I tell all the fans, man, I tell them I love them. I hope to get back to see them soon.
1: You got it. That's the great Lee Smith Major League Baseball Hall of Famer and uh, on the Cardinals Hall of Fame uh, ballot as well. Uh, That was just awesome Hall of Fame human being how about that uh, I mean he's great
0: what an awesome awesome storyteller and Dan I know you're you're so good at this on the broadcast like it's one of the things that I love about watching Cardinals baseball throughout the summer especially when you've got some of these guys filtering through the broadcast booth and you're able to do an inning with them you get such great stories out of them and these guys have so many stories to tell about uh, their ball clubs back in the day right and I love it when you get a guy on who's just ready to go. The oh, yeah. moment that he gets on the air and he's, he's ready to tell some of those stories. Guy, that was awesome. I he, enjoyed the hell out of that.
1: He uh, Last time I, I, as I mentioned in the interview, last time I saw Lee was down at fantasy camp. And at that fantasy camp, it, it just it's a number of former Cardinals. And I mean to tell you, these guys get on each other. And that's the clean version right there. Yeah. And not to say it gets nasty. I, I mean it, but it's a good, fun, ribbing. It's ribbing. Clean, it's ribbing. And, I mean, he gives it to people. But when you become a Major League Baseball Hall of Famer, then they got to take it easy on you just a little bit. And if you give it to the Baseball Hall of Famer, well, you treat it with kid gloves. So they're bit. very careful with Lee and Ozzie, but they get their share, too. It's, And they treat me so well, and I'm just so thankful that they do, and it's fun. And growing up here in St. Louis— uh, it's just, it's an honor and a privilege to be around it. I love it. It's hearing so about, much fun. Hearing about the, uh, some of the card games that were
0: pl- taking place, oh. by the way, I would, I would love to learn a little bit more about Jose Okindo's uh, tactics. Let's say when it came to those card games, I
1: used to play a lot of golf with Jose. Mm. I can tell you he took a lot of money, uh, <laughs> not just in card games, but in golf, you know how Jose had the kind of odd stance in huh? baseball. He has that stance in golf and he scratch. <laughs> And I'm like, are you serious? I remember the first time we went and played golf together, and I said to Jose, and I love Jose, and I said, You gotta be kidding me. I said, Of all things, I said, You actually have a golf stance like this too? And he said, It still works. You know, he gave <laughs> me one of those, like it it works. And his hands, BK, like he's got the softest hands because he can feel. But I bet if you put him out at second base or shortstop right now, wouldn't have the range. But if you hit anything to him, He'd gobble it up better than any guy that's on the field it's like right Ozzie,
0: now. Right? He looks like he could go give you a hard nine right now.
1: Ozzy's the Today. same way. These guys are just incredible. So you get them out on the golf course and you see them like chip shots, things like that, putts. They don't lose their hands. They don't lose their touch. It's just incredible. That was a lot of fun. Lee Smith here on 101 ESPN. We'll be back with more. We'll talk about some of the rule changes that have been uh, proposed for the minor leagues when we come back. This is the Danny Mac Show with BK, the podcast powered by I Promise. Talking off the air, that was a lot of fun with Lee Smith, and hopefully our listeners enjoyed that. If you uh, missed it, go to the 101 ESPN website and go to the download section and search for Lee Smith. And it's presented by. I promise he brought up the name Jose Okendo, and I, I said to BK, I said, you know, I really believe Jose Okendo is a, a future Cardinals Hall of Famer. I, I, I just, I really enjoy the Cardinals Hall of Fame. It, it. it It gives you discussion. It gives you argument, which is fun. I mean, in a creative, respectful way. I I just think the Cardinals Hall of Fame has been such a great addition to the organization. There are some slam dunks, and we're getting some of those guys respectfully, when I say this, out of the way, meaning that they're getting in because they're—I mean, it's just easy. You say that guy's a Cardinals Hall of Famer. You know that. But now we're starting to get into some other guys that you would say, oh, is that guy really a Cardinals Hall of Famer? Is he a Hall of Famer— it's going to get out of the way. And to me, the Cardinals hall of fame is about what it is. It's not baseball's hall of fame. This is about what it meant to you in St. Louis and how you define that is different for others. And that's the debate. That's what makes it fun. So when I look at this, I think that when you look at the contributions and there is a, you know stipulation for one of the things for the cardinals hall of fame the contributions to the organization like george kissel we talk about george kissel all the time and and the impact that his impact is still felt today with players that are in uniform and coaches that are still in uniform today
0: he might be the the most referenced person
1: by mike schilt in in this organization and beyond even outside this organization so when i think about guys and uh, contributions to the organization. I would think Jose O'Kendo. I think Dave Duncan. Uh, To me, Dave Duncan needs to have a hard look at the Cardinals Hall of Fame for the championship run with Tony the Rusa that they had. A couple of world titles. He was the pitching coach. There were ERA titles when Dave Duncan was here. Now, you got to have the horses. Don't get me wrong. Can't have Dave Duncan, the pitching coach, for 20, 30 years and your team stinks. You got to have the horses. You got to have good people. But you look at the contributions of these individuals and it's felt, it's meaningful. And so, I do think that there's a place for those guys eventually in the Cardinals Hall of Fame.
0: I agree. And the other thing that I find interesting about a guy like Jose O'Kindo or Dave Duncan, for instance, is the longevity, right? If we're going to put in guys, That's potentially, like Lee Smith, who is an unbelievable player, he was, it was a shorter period of time while he was here, right? Jose O'Kindo. I mean, he's been around this club basically forever now. And so that's that's something you also have to take into account is, yes, it's behind the scenes. It is not directly on the field, but his impact is felt directly on the field. And it has been basically for a generation of Cardinals baseball now.
1: So that's a longevity. And then there's this guy that I think about that will go into the Cardinals Hall of Fame. He meets the criteria of going in the Cardinals Hall of Fame. But if you take away the 2011 postseason, he's not a Cardinals Hall of Famer. And that's David Freeze. Yep. But for what he's meant and his legacy because of that run and that one famous game. And don't forget, he was the MVP of both the NLCS and the uh, MVP of the World Series and a famous Game 6. And oh, by the way, he's from St. Louis. Uh, there's a special place in Cardinals history because of him. Does he deserve a red jacket? In my mind, he does. That's what separates what the Cardinals Hall of Fame is about. I know there's some fans that would say, no, he doesn't deserve it, maybe, because of longevity, exactly what you're talking about. But for me, and what he's meant to the franchise that we talk about all the time and reference all the time, 2011, David Freeze, to me, he gets into the Cardinals Hall of Fame.
0: Another guy that I've I've argued for, and I know I get a lot of pushback on, is Matt Carpenter. I think Matt Carpenter is eventually going to be a Cardinals Hall of Famer. When you, when you break a record that's been standing for the Cardinals for as long as he did with the doubles record, that's... That's something that I think is going to get him in eventually, especially he's, for how good he was in his prime.
1: He's also top 10 in a lot of offensive categories uh, in Cardinals history. Okay, rule changes in the minors this season. I, I really am fascinated with some of this stuff, BK. So slightly larger bases with less slippery surface. That's going to start at the AAA level this year. Uh, this year, a requirement that all four infielders have their cleats within the outer boundary of the infield dirt. So you're on the infield dirt when the pitch is delivered. That's at all double A games this year. A requirement that pitchers must step. Off the rubber to attempt a pickoff at all high A. So think of Andy Pettit. Those days are over at high A. Great pickoff move. One of the best ever in baseball. A two uh pickoff attempt limit per plate appearance at all low A. So you throw over twice. I love that rule. Green love light. That rule. Green light, baby. Uh fifteen second pitch clock. I like that. Low A. West only. An automatic ball strike system that's at low A. So those are some of the things that will be implemented in the minor leagues. You don't want to do that at the major league level because because you want to see how this thing works now in professional ball uh, in the minor leagues. I'm all for being open-minded and trying these things. I didn't necessarily want to see them implemented in the major league system. So there's a few of these. And let's start with the slightly larger bases with a less slippery surface. Number one, less slippery surface makes total sense. We don't need guys slipping yeah. and you know tearing up their knee or their ankle. So that part is easy. The larger bases, people say, well what's what's the big deal here? Well, the enlarged bases instead of 15 by 15, it's going to be 18 by 18. So you're talking about four and a half to six inches. And that we talk we say all the time, boy, baseball, cliche, it's a game of inches. Imagine getting your fingertip in on a stolen base. All the time, it is bang-bang plays at second base. Stolen bases, plays... Especially
0: now with instant replay.
1: Sure it is. And I think this is something that is good for the game. So we're trying to create offense. Maybe this is a way that we implement more stolen bases in the game.
0: Yeah, Dan, it's also... It's not an individual thing, right? It's You've got the expanded bases along with the two-limit... You you can only throw over twice to first base pickoff attempts. And you have the pitch clock. So you've got all of these things working at once. All of them hopefully helping the running game going a little bit. And that is in tandem with the ban on the shift, basically, in, in these lower levels. All of this is getting higher batting averages mm-hmm. and more running into the game. And the biggest problem for baseball is not it is not the three true outcomes. The problem is there is a lack of action, right? Like, getting a walk is not exciting, Um, getting a strikeout can be exciting in a really high leverage situation, but getting 12 or 15 of them in a game is not particularly exciting for fans. Batting average, hitting the ball into play, playing defense, having these acrobatic players that we have in the game right now, using that athleticism, putting it on display. That's exciting. Running and stealing second base. That is an exciting play. The pickoff play is exciting. All of this stuff is trying to make the game more enjoyable for fans. And so I got to be honest, I like most of these rule changes, the one that I don't love and I'm going to need it to be really successful before I even really consider it in the majors is the automated ball strike system. But that's got to be perfected. It's got to be perfect before you bring it up to the bigs. But otherwise, I really don't have an issue with these.
1: Arizona Fall League did this a couple years ago. There was a ball that bounced about a foot in front of the plate and called a strike. So it's not perfected. The uh, requirement that all four infielders have their cleats within the outer boundary of the infield dirt. I like this because you're talking about limiting the shift. And so more balls in play. If you're a left-handed batter, because primarily you're seeing shifts against lefties, this is a good thing. Pitchers stepping off the rubber in a attempt of a pickoff, I, I I I like this. I think it's good. Lou Brock told me one time, he said, stealing off of left-handers, by the way, it's not about watching his right foot. It's his left foot. Now, that's interesting, right? He said that you would look at the left toe of a left-hander hmm. to steal off him. He said if his left toe stayed down... He was pressing on the rubber and the dirt because his force, the force of that, your back leg was going to the plate. If you're going to throw over to first base, you almost were throwing off your back foot as a pitcher, hence your heel and your toe would come up. I always found that fascinating. So that we'll be seeing that with left-handed pitching to see if that makes an impact with that. I think we have to have a 15 second pitch clock. We got to save ourselves from ourselves. You have to so. There's something else here. Gotta speed this here. thing up, man.
0: Uh, from the three one four six five seven eight zero. By the way, is the air comfort service X line? Somebody says that your analysis of the rule changes is that this is going to result in longer games. That's a big issue, right? I actually don't think the length of games in and of itself is a problem. I think that baseball, the problem that we're running into is that it is a longer, more boring game. If you have a longer game in which there is more action, that's what we want. There's no problem with that. If you watch a fantastic movie from start to finish, right, you're not going to complain about the fact that it was two hours. The problem is, if you have a plot that was probably about an hour that they stretched into two, that's when it becomes an issue. And you're like, this thing just dragged for the middle hour of the movie. That's what baseball is right now. It's dragging throughout the middle part of the game. If you have a situation where you've got so much more action and, yes, it ends up being an extra 10 minutes on average, nobody is going to care. College football is long as hell. These games take forever because there is so much offense. You know what we love watching? Offense. So nobody's complaining about the, the fact that these college games at times are three and a half to four hours long when it's 65 to 55. Those are fun games to watch. So, yeah, I I don't have an issue with a longer game in and of itself. The problem is how we're getting to those longer games right now.
1: What's coming up with your show with Alex Ferrario?
0: Looking forward to this one. So we've got Linda Cohn coming up at 1115. The big news the other day was that ESPN getting back into the hockey game. We're going to talk to Linda Cohn about that coming up here in just about 20 minutes. David Pagnata was one of the first people to report the uh, Jordan Bennington news last night. We're going to talk to him coming up at 1230 and obviously plenty to discuss when it comes to that Jordan Bennington extension. You've been listening to the
1: Danny Max show with BK, the podcast powered by I promise.
2: Peloton, let's go this holiday with the right music and the right motivation from world class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes.